This show is produced by Sharebird, the knowledge sharing platform for the fastest growing teams. It's the place to get on-demand answers to your questions and learn from leaders at the top of their field. Want more advice and insights? Check out sharebird.com. Shout out to our sponsor, Clue. That is Clue with a K, the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers who drive revenue for their business. Clue helps you collect, curate, and distribute competitive insights to enable sales and revenue teams to win more deals. Share real-time insights across your organization with Clue's dynamic battle cards delivered everywhere your sales reps live and allow them to contribute insights directly from the field. It's competitive strategy as a key lever of revenue. Elevate your role and outmaneuver, outplay, and outmatch the competition with Clue. Welcome back to season four of the Product Marketing Experts podcast. Today, I am really excited to have with me Chad Kimner, the Product Marketing Director at Meta for the AR and VR solutions. Chad has a really, really interesting background, is an expert in product marketing, and I'm super excited to to chat with him today. Chad, welcome to the podcast. Jeffrey, thanks for having me. Uh, This is a dream come true, for real. I've... uh... I have binged this pod so many times over the past few years and uh, really appreciate what you're doing for product marketers everywhere and building community around this craft. So it is my pleasure to share whatever small wisdom I might have with the rest of the group. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chad. So glad to to hear you're, you're a fan of the podcast. The, the guests make make it all worthwhile. So I think when when folks think meta, uh, they naturally think about maybe, or, or at least I naturally think about some of the consumer facing side of it where, you know, I log into the website, I see updates from my friends, I see pictures, I see life updates, you know, th- th- things of that nature. But obviously you're working on AR, VR solutions. So curious about your team, your role, uh, and kind of what your 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 group or division does at Meta. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, internally, we call this group reality labs and uh, externally we're still looking for for the right name but i think people are coming to understand it as the group that's building that word the metaverse and uh and bringing this pivot that the company signaled with its rebrand to life and so you know to date that's been a focus on devices like quest which is effectively synonymous with the vr category in consumer um, we released a smart glasses product, Ray-Ban Stories, last year, and you'll continue to see a ton of innovation from us on device and experiences. There are many directors of product marketing inside of Reality Labs, as you might imagine. I'm one of an incredible team. My team is unique, frankly, to in my experience for the things that we focus on. I think. Uh, It'd be no surprise to all of us that Meta operates from a position where some consumers have grown skeptical of um, our intentions and some of the things we've done. And we know we need to change that. I know because I'm part of the company now that we have a right to change that story because the things we're doing are not what um, the story may lead you to think. And our intentions are in a really good spot. And so my team is responsible for what we call privacy and responsible innovation. And that means feeding insights back into the product that help us deliver products that meet consumer expectation for taking care of their privacy, safeguarding their data, 
thinking of issues like diversity and inclusion and safety and youth, and then telling that story up to the world because there's a rich story there to tell. So my team works across every product. We are a bit hub and spoke. We also then come together to build one story and sort of brand story around all the good things that we're doing and all the ways we're trying to be responsible with the products we've built. Wow, that's that's incredible. And uh, I, I have I have so many questions based off that. And I, I really do want to dig into messaging and how you think about messaging across that hub and spoke model being kind of yeah. the knowledge center. But before we get there, I hear through the grapevine uh, that you have a semi-serious side gig, if it's fair to characterize it like like that, and that you're a musician. So so we'd love to hear a little bit more about that and what type of music do you play and how does that tie into product marketing? I'm curious, like what maybe being a product marketer has taught you being a musician and maybe vice versa as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I imagine most of uh, of your listeners probably know me better as the bass player in the West Coast premier Fish tribute band, Jeffrey. I know you're a, you're a huge fan. It is a fun side gig. There are incredible parallels, I think, between music and product marketing, and perhaps in particular between being a bass player and being a product marketer. And so if you are, if any of your listeners are parents who want nothing more for their children than to become product marketers, uh, I'd get them into music early. This taught me a couple of things. I think number one, listening. And I think in my experience, some of the best product marketers are maybe counterintuitively introverts who've spent a lot of their lives listening and developing what we call music big years. So they understand what's going on and hear the conversation. I think two, there's a performance element which you need to practice. And there's really no better way to practice than being on stage and the lights are on and you've got to connect with an audience. And Everything we do on stage is messaging. It's communicating directly with the person I'm looking at in the audience in this room and trying to deliver a feeling and get them to understand something that I'm trying to say. And the last piece that I think is really important, perhaps about the bass, I'll just do a, a PSA for the bass. The bass is an instrument that translates across so many different functions in music. And I think we know that as product marketers to be core to our, our roles and having to speak harmony and rhythm or engineering and sales, it's really a similar concept. And so I think it's great training for eventual product marketing leaders. That is amazing, Chad. And you are clearly way cooler than I am. I think I think all of us now should should head over to maybe YouTube or just general search and look up your band and you know, uh, and, and listen to some music. You should do that. And I I, you know, certainly understand the fish and fish tributes for that matter, are acquired tastes. I am definitely a fan. Just before hitting the record button on the podcast, I was mentioning that uh, during my time at HubSpot, our CEO, Brian Halligan, is a big Grateful Dead fan. And, and so I, I naturally started listening and, and you know, I've, I've become more of a fan of Grateful Dead and Fish and, and, and those bands through my time there. Nice. Well, maybe we should start a separate pod about the intersection of product marketing and Fish. Exactly. <laughs> Circling back to, to, to Hub and Spoke, uh, yeah. Curious if you can if you could share like a little bit more about how does that work at at Meta? How do you tie your messaging and positioning, your uh, kind of launch campaigns, everything that you're doing in Reality Labs into kind of everything happening across the broader kind of Meta ecosystem, if if, if that's fair to to call it that? Yeah, as you'd expect, that is that's a messy proposition when you're talking about a company as large as Meta with as many business units, and I think. As 
we've shifted and pivoted to making a much bigger investment in you know, our side of the world relative to the historical businesses. We're trying to figure this out. I think when I joined, people would tell me all the time that Reality Labs felt like a startup within Meta. And it was sort of, it existed, it was trying to figure things out, it was executing on hypotheses, and the rest of the company was still just doing its thing. And as the weights shift, as this business grows and becomes more important, we're facing this question of, of how do we integrate? And even within Reality Labs alone, right? Trying to drive threads through everything we do is tricky. Trying to connect that to what's happening and all these other products, very, very tricky. So there is a, there's a cost to someone like me and a tax. And it's just the, the bureaucratic tax of working across so many different teams. And I think I'm a leader of one of a few teams who are truly cross-portfolio. And I think the challenge that we have is just how do you scale communications with so many different stakeholders and build relationship that's deep with a product leader in every single group. I don't think there's a secret there other than it's a time investment that just comes with a role where you're going to be involved in every single product. And so just a lot of my calendar is one-on-ones trying to keep those relationships open because while I'd like to think of myself as one of the most important people in a product group leader's lives, I'm, I'm one of many. And I've got to keep that alive with so many people and then multiply that across a gigantic company. So number one, it's just the FaceTime and trying to scale communications across all of the different vehicles we have within Meta to do that. So that's number one. I think the other elements of the hub and spoke model that get really interesting are my team has to coordinate really closely with say the core Quest product marketing go-to-market team. And we're really integrated. It almost feels at times as though people on my team are really part of the, well, I guess it depends how you think about it, but I'd call it the spoke team in Quest and um, really living and breathing their challenges and their business problems and building their solutions. And then we have to come back as a team and say, okay, what's happening across all of our different products that thematically is consistent, hopefully, but sometimes inconsistent with this top line message that we're trying to deliver about responsible innovation and about privacy. The flow is bottoms up and top down and it's dynamic and constant. So we're trying to feed in ideas that should cut across the whole portfolio. We're listening to what's happening at the product level and What you end up, I think, working with a lot and trying to sort through is this tension between portfolio messaging and product messaging and portfolio marketing and product marketing. I love this tension. I think it's really fascinating because the product marketing teams, the sort of centers of excellence around the product are not going to be thinking first about what are the portfolio challenges? What's the tide that's going to lift all boats? And I like thinking about that. So for for Meta, you said it earlier, you think of Meta and you think of Facebook and you think of WhatsApp and you think of Instagram and these software experiences that have been free, have been largely 2D. And then you think about Meta, the hardware and device maker, and you probably don't think about that first, second, or, or maybe third yet. And we have this portfolio challenge to build credibility that Meta is a device maker, a hardware 
maker and builds incredible, the best world beating products. That's a heavy lift and that's a portfolio challenge. We feed into it, our team feeds into it because part of what we need to communicate to the world is that our devices are being really, really careful with things like ever increasing sensitive data types that the devices of the future will capture. We spend so much time thinking about this and trying to do the right thing and gathering external feedback. We need to tell that story at the portfolio level in order to clear the way for all these devices and new categories. One other example quickly for things like smart glasses. This is a category that's really barely understood, I think, today. There is a huge challenge in what we call social acceptability. I don't think this is a meta idea. This is an idea that many new technologies have had to deal with. And you know, you think of the first iterations that we think of with smart glasses and Google Glass didn't work in part because we couldn't figure out how to get people comfortable with the idea that people were wearing really sophisticated things on their faces that could take pictures and capture sound. And we faced this challenge in getting comfort with this new technology and building what we call social acceptability. And that's a portfolio challenge. It's a portfolio challenge for a subset maybe of the overall set of devices and experiences that we create. Each product is going to talk about it differently. And we need to distill that into that overarching message that really talks to the whole portfolio. That's incredible. As part of that, you talked a bit about how individual product marketers or, or, or even some product marketing teams are thinking about maybe their individual solution or their kind of product messaging specifically and how you like to think about platform messaging. Can you walk through that process a little bit? Like, like how does that process differ for maybe your team or, or, or a team that you work closely with to develop the product-specific messaging at Meta versus what you're doing to develop overall kind of platform-level messaging and tie into that broader narrative that Meta is a hardware company, a very successful hardware company, I should say. Well, I think what's what part of what I love about this role is we're doing both. So because we are having spoke, because we're so integrated at the product level, my team is um, is developing go-to-market plans for privacy and responsible innovation at the product level. And as well, we're trying to look across all those plans and say, okay, what is this adding up to? Like, what is that overarching message that cuts across everything that is credible and defensible because we have these proof points and you, you know, you've been through this. That's, um, that's a lot of sometimes fitting square pegs and around holes in the way that we say, well, this is a really cool idea that's happening in this product, but it actually feels a little bit one-off from what we're trying to do across everything. And it's, it's great, but it actually doesn't have a place in this overarching story. And just trying to find the pieces and the proof points and the reasons to believe that do add up to this consistent whole and, uh, and give us the strongest case to support the story. It's, it's a lot of sort of editing in the room with your partners across the team and your XFNs and trying to say, what's the, what's the most compelling version of this story that, that we can tell? And what are those proof points that we can pull out of product? Again, with the, the purpose being, what does every product need from us in order to move forward, in order to achieve really aggressive growth targets? Finding that thing isn't easy. And I think it's, it's the difference in thinking about what can we say about the portfolio? What can we say about the brand? What can we say about the set of devices, the way they work together 
to create even better experiences than they do on their own. That's different from the very specific ways that a product in a competitive category might have to deposition very specific competitors and think um, very differently about the state of their business today. Totally agree. And I think I think it all needs to, as you essentially said, it, it all needs to ladder up to that core overall platform or, or even company level um, messaging to, to your point as well. So it's so accurate. And, and I think especially as companies grow and scale and and uh, take on new markets. Uh, these these are all not the same, but 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 similar ish challenges in the sense that the messaging frameworks you know can be fairly similar within a company. I think as product marketers, we talk a lot about preparing messaging for a big launch and ensuring that we get the messaging right. I think a lot of teams think about that as this almost this one time event where. Oh, like check the box. We did the messaging. We're good to go. Let's move on to these other hundred tasks, right? I think of messaging, and and I I know you and I were talking a little bit about this. That it's not necessarily a one time thing. That it's it's that we should probably return to it maybe post launch or or some point after the, the, the launch itself. Curious how you prioritize that, how you think about that, uh, and how you've kind of in- implemented that at Meta. I hear this so frequently, and I, I know all of us believe in what you just said, theoretically, right? That like, it seems crazy that we're not always going back and fine tuning. And the reality is that we all work in incredibly dynamic environments where things are changing and the next shiny new thing grabs our attention. And six months later, you can't believe that you haven't thought about what you did six months ago. And it's probably cost you a lot. One of the most transformative experiences for me professionally was I had this opportunity um, when I was at Mozilla, um, where I spent almost a decade prior to coming to to Meta. And I had had tours in leading product marketing teams. I led product management for Firefox, super humbling. And then I had this opportunity where the new CMO came in and we really hit it off to start a new team that hadn't existed, which was marketing strategy and operations. And part of why he and I bonded was I come from product environments where I'd seen capital A, agile working and felt like marketing was working in this very different way. And it was causing sort of, it was causing tension in the moment between product and marketing, which we're always trying to diffuse. But frankly, marketing may not have been learning from the advances that have happened in the way that we ship product and develop product. And he completely agreed. And so we set out to reorganize the marketing team, his marketing org in a capital A agile fashion. So much of the reason behind it was this. We were sprinting to a launch, burning a team out, and then moving on before we'd actually tried to make it better. This idea that you can operate in this environment where you're, you don't have much actual market feedback before you do the thing that you spend six months leading up to and then hit go and you're done and you probably got some of it right and probably got some of it wrong, but you're not even going to worry about which part that was or fix it. it. seemed crazy. And so we created what looked like cross-functional pods of marketers who were attached to business problems. And this did a couple of things for us. It gave that group real autonomy and decision-making ability to say, I'm trying to move this metric. I'm not responding to a feature, a new feature launch, unless it helps me move this metric. And look, 
as I say that, everyone's like, sure. And how did you get product to buy in? And how'd you get everyone else to buy in? It took time. Like we had to sell this idea in and it was a bit of a leap of faith to say, we will see better results if you let us focus on where we can have impact. And when we did that and we sort of created that space for teams to say, I've got 30 things I could do right now, but where's the ROI? And it's okay for me to say, it's not in launching this next great new feature, unless it is, but it's in spending a sprint or two really trying to refine and iterate on this message that we had at launch, which now we have feedback. And this was really, really liberating and transformative for me. And we had what I consider to be a really sophisticated version of agile marketing in play at Mozilla. I look forward to the day when I can start to have these conversations at a place like Meta, where, as you can imagine, the structures make it it's hard to imagine how you really stand this up in the same way that we did at Mozilla. I think there's probably like a right size type of organization for this, but I see the challenges that led us to this, to that point at Mozilla at, at Meta too. And I'm sure we all feel it even at, even at much smaller companies. I, I think it was a novel way to sort of approach this challenge and did give us the freedom to refine and iterate and don't feel bad that you put a lot of work into something and you never talk about it again. Cause that, that's just, that's an empty feeling. Yeah, it certainly is. And I don't think of it as the fault of the product marketer. I think of it as maybe the fault of what we're focusing on, what our metrics are, what our strategy is, what our vision is, but you're absolutely right. It, it, it's, it is a challenge amongst product marketing and we as product marketing leaders often get pulled in so many different directions that our teams naturally feel the downstream effect of that, which is uh, which is certainly a key challenge. Of course. Yeah. I mean, one more note on that. I think one of the things that we really did was give these teams below the leadership level a degree of autonomy and separation from, uh, I was one of the leaders, from leadership. So that leadership was a voice, but really because we were being pulled, we could go fight those battles for them and give them the space they needed to move forward, recognizing that we get pulled in so many different directions every day. One quick follow-up question to that, Chad. In the agile methodology at Mozilla, did your, your marketing team, did they operate in traditional kind of sprints? Um, and it, you know, were those traditional sprints like two weeks? Did they have kind of goals and stand-ups and, and kind of the traditional framework around what's known as the agile methodology? Yep. We, we borrowed many of the rituals. We, we went so far and... I pushed for this really hard and in retrospect, if I were to do it again, this is one of the things I may have waited on until we were more sophisticated. We even borrowed user stories as sort of the currency of how we think about work. I love that because I think I'm always trying to get into the customer's head and the consumer's head and think about the world from their perspective. And I think it's a really useful tool. I will say marketers looked at that and a lot of them said, I don't get it. This isn't my world. This isn't how I write things. I don't understand what we're trying to do here. And as you sort of graft this product system um, or system that was really born in product and of product and mapping and marketing, there's going to be some challenges. We recognized that was going to be true. We worked in sprints. We experimented because we were agile with the length of those sprints and found different results at different times. We ended up at about two and a half weeks 
because we wanted to give more time to especially creative functions for planning in between sprints. And we felt that we were getting, you know, we weren't losing the sort of quick turn experimentation, learning, reprioritization that you'd get in a, a two week sprint. But we also weren't waiting a month to make those decisions either. And we really wanted to prize sort of quick decision making. We had stand ups, we had retrospectives. So we really borrowed a lot. I think most of it was useful and most of it needs to be modified for the marketer. For sure. That, that completely makes sense. It's, it's a fascinating approach. I've certainly heard a lot of teams doing it with success and, and some teams who have tried it. Unfortunately, it's fallen flat in some ways, but it's mm-hmm. fascinating to, to, I think, hear the, the, the nuance of it and how it's carried out and how it's actually practiced. Uh, and it sounds like it found a lot of success at Mozilla, which is, which is awesome. Um, yeah. you, you, you talked a bit about the kind of role that you played at Mozilla and, and certainly the role that you've played at Meta uh, so, so far as well. And I, I think it's fair to say that product marketing teams you know, even people with the same exact title in two separate organizations, even if those organizations are in the same industry, roughly the same size, you know, those those roles can look very, very different in some ways. Uh, curious how you think about that and what some of the, some kind of effective models that you've seen for product marketing are. Yeah, it's so interesting. I'm sure you've you've had plenty of discussions about this. I mean, I don't know that there's another function that can look so different inside the same industry inside the same neighborhood. It's absolutely incredible to me. I guess we're still maturing into a model where product marketing will be sort of a priori understood as it's developed inside of an organization. But uh, I suppose it comes with being just slightly generalists by nature. I mean, I'm a proud generalist. I feel like that's served me really well in product marketing that we can stretch in lots of areas. Meta has been fascinating to me because our leader, uh, a woman named Jen Prenner, is a force of nature. And she was really given the task of developing an identity for product marketing in a new a new part of the company where we were doing very different things. And she's done such an incredible job of doing this. I would describe our role today as something that looks closest to COO and GM. And I think this is a, it's a slightly different model. I think it draws from a lot of what we're probably familiar with in product marketing for someone like me who spent, you know, my last big tour of duty in product marketing, product management ops, and then was running go to market. It makes sense to me that we are generalist T-shaped leaders with really broad vision across the organization. But I think one of the things I I certainly see with the best product marketers that I've known is a strong operational capacity and an ability to connect the dots, understand when conversations are going awry, when we're not speaking the same truth, we're making different assumptions and calling that out. I think more than anything, I think our our identity today as the real truth tellers for the business, I, I think that's that's a big part of product marketing and it can be a lonely place, but I think it's such a critical function to play. And I think it's, it's one that we're really well suited for. And so I, I really like this model. I think when, when I've seen product marketing struggle, it's when the clear value add isn't defined and we end up looking a lot like PM or a lot like Marcom and no 
buddy. I've never met a product marketer who is comfortable just sort of being that middle person in between those. That's, that's not rewarding and that's not what we're great at. And so we need to, I think leaders need to carve out that really crystal clear value add and that distinction between everything. And I think hang very clear accountability on the team. Our accountability is to the success of the business. It's pretty clear. And we have a lot of freedom to go chase that down. Wow. Thank you, Chad. I, I think we need to, to cut the segment and just put it on repeat for every product marketer <laughs> out there because it's all too often that the cliche clip from you know Office Space uh, that, that ties in so well to product marketing, but how we're good at talking to engineers and people and uh, kind of that, that intersection of being the glue plays all too often in many uh, marketing leaders and many, many businesses' minds overall, but the, the, the value certainly extends far, far, far beyond that as well. Yeah. Totally agree. So as we as we look to, to wrap up a, a bit here, um, we started the conversation on positioning. I want to circle back with one more question on positioning, uh, because I think a lot of people conflate the terms messaging, positioning, value proposition, pitch, story. Uh, there's probably some other words here that I'm that I'm maybe forgetting, but a lot of people conflate these terms, and I think I believe you think as well that there is some nuance and some differentiation to each of these terms. Curious how you think about them. Do you see them as the same thing, as complementary, a little bit different? Sure. I, I think they're importantly very different. And what matters above all is that you have a shared vocabulary with, with your team. Because even coming into a place like Meta, I have seen some of those words used in ways that aren't exactly my model for what they are. That doesn't really matter because um, I'm not as important as the culture of, of uh, the team that's working and it's working for them. And so you have to adjust. And I think building that clarity across your teams is vital. So uh, for me, messaging and copy, two very, very different things. I see those two things used interchangeably all the time in the world. That works for the team. Great. My definitions probably aren't that important. I think none of those can happen without having a real clear positioning. And I have elements of my positioning statements that are really important to me and I will get my teams to do them. What's important is that everyone understand the purpose of that positioning statement in your organization, what it does, what it doesn't do. I am constantly amazed to this day that I'll be in a room when we're reviewing positioning and someone is treating it like a tagline and that can't happen. Like those are very different things. They're very different purposes. And I think what, as the, the people who shepherd these frameworks a lot of the time, I think there's a, a tax on us to educate everyone with really clear examples of what's positioning, what has to be included for it to be successful, what it accomplishes, what it doesn't accomplish, what is messaging, is it copy, is it not, what is copy, who writes copy, and just being really clear about the outset as you develop a go-to-market process is the most important thing. I love the discussion about what each one of these means. Uh, happy to go deep there. And you've got to work on that with your team so that you're all moving without being slowed down with uh, with misunderstanding. There's so many people out there talking about what messaging and positioning and the story and the pitch and so forth are. I don't think there's enough people, to, to, to your point, talking about what is the framework to align internally on all of these mm -hmm. things and what the definitions are 
like even within your organization, because even if that doesn't map to the other, you know, million companies or, or, or however many companies out in the market, it doesn't necessarily matter. But as long as it, it's, it's mapped internally, that that's truly what matters. And it's a phenomenal point, Chad. Lastly, um, I think on alignment, this matters so much to me. So I just want to, want to get it out there. I think one of the things that and I, I see this a lot as we talked about in models of PMM where that value add is blurry or the distinction between you and other teams is blurry. There's this desire to latch on to, we own this part of it. We own the positioning, we own the messaging. I, I think this is dangerous and I don't think it helps you achieve what you're actually trying to achieve in the situations. I think alignment comes with bringing all the partners, even those who will be disruptive and noisy into that process early on, we don't want to own it. We want to shepherd that process. We want to bring the right voices to the table, but we're only going to get alignment if they're included and part of the process. And um, I think this is a mistake that I don't want any of us to make because uh, I think it really hampers our, our growth. Totally agree. And I, I appreciate you saying that. Do you have one or, or two uh, quick tips that you found really successful or, or helpful in your career as you think about writing, messaging, and positioning, or as you maybe coach folks on your team or folks new to product marketing around how to kind of orchestrate and create the best messaging and positioning? To go back to my roots in music, I, I do think it's, it's listening. And I, I am in an environment today which is so research rich and I, I am, it's a luxury. I've been in environments where this is not the case. The amount of time that we spend at Meta listening to real customers and getting real feedback on, I mean, an astounding array of messages is, uh, is incredible. And uh, I'm really, I'm really lucky to be here for that. And I know that I'll go other places in my career where, where it probably won't be the case. But listening is is number one. And then the other thing is humility. Like, this is part of why we thought it was so important to get out of this cycle where you sprint for six months and launch and walk away is because nobody can know the right thing to do before you launched. You can have a great guess and sometimes it's going to work pretty well, but no one can know. And I think the art of all of this is recognizing that Customers are complicated and we're doing the best we can to deliver what we think they want. And we're going to be partly right a lot of the time, but let's just remember that there's a lot we don't know and we just have to try and experiment and fail. And I think um, cultures where that's encouraged, where experimentation is encouraged, that's what I would, I'd offer for people to build. Thank you so much, Chad. That is truly expert advice, I, I think. And and any product marketer, regardless of whether you're brand new or you know have spent a dozen plus years in, in product marketing, I think can can take something away from that. So I appreciate that. Any final words? Any place that folks can find your content or follow you or or connect with you? I you know I've been excited um, to get some more AMAs up on Sharebird. And I would love to hear from the community about those and what's working, what's not, and what you disagree with and help me get better. Thank you, Chad. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate all of your truly expert advice and wish you all of the success in the world at Meta. Thanks for having me, Jeffrey. It's been so much fun. I got a
This show is produced by Sherberg, the knowledge sharing platform for the fastest growing teams. It's the place to get on-demand answers to your questions and learn from leaders at the top of their field. Want more advice and insights? Check out Sherberg.com.